Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans, and I am just really happy you're hanging out with me today, and I hope the world is great wherever you are. I am home in Fountain Green, Utah, and uh, we've got a couple of weeks off between clinics. We just got done with our Gunnison, Colorado clinic, and you'll have a debrief coming up on that shortly. And uh, a couple weeks from now, we'll we'll kick off our semi-private group clinics here in uh, here in Fountain Green, and looking forward to those too. Um, went for a great ride last night. You know, you got to get back to your roots, no matter what. Remember your why. Sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up in working on all these things, trying to get our mules to do this or do that or or whatever, but you got to get back to your why. For me, you know, I, I ride these mules. I enjoy trail riding. I enjoy the, the high mountain country. I enjoy the deep canyon country. I like to pack and I like to work cows. That is my why. And and I want to get these animals handy enough so that I can enjoy those, those things. I want uh, my mule to enjoy them as well. And you know, I've got experience to know that the mule can enjoy doing the things we do. They can, I promise you. Um, it's just setting it up in a way so that they would rather be with you than somewhere else. But that's kind of challenging. And, uh, you know, for today's Mule Tip Tuesday, I got a lot of great questions. And um, uh, I've shared with you guys a few times out of my journal. Now, I keep a mule journal and and sometimes I document, uh, you know, different different instances, you know, what's going on in the world with my mules, um, how things are, are shaping up. But I write down thoughts, too, that come to mind. I write down quotes, and I write down things that come up in clinics, and I write down questions that people ask me. But this is a thought that I wrote down. This is back, um, uh, well, on New Year's of this year, I wrote this. Uh, this is just a thought. <laughs> And it has to do with freedom to choose, and it has to do with agency. This is something all of us are born with, is some agency uh, to some level. And, um, you know, God was kind enough to give us agency. I think we need to give that to our mules and give them that agency and that freedom to make some choices. So this is a thought I had back in January. Freedom to choose. Agency. Agency is fundamental to working with mules. We must give the mules agency to make a choice. We want to see what they do in situations so that we can test their character to give them appropriate jobs. But they need to see us as the foundation of faith. They need to know they can look to us for guidance and have faith that we can help them. So the relationship should be built first before too much testing happens. So kind of going back to this whole agency thing and freedom to choose, you know, um, you kind of have to immerse yourself in this idea of agency to really get along to the level that I want to get along at. You know, for me, it's not just making the mule do this or making the mule do that. Or having them op- operate as you know my, you know my transportation slaves. You know that's not that's not it for me. 
Um, it might be for you, uh, but for me, I want more than that. I want to, I really want to get along with my mules. I really want this partnership. That's what I desire. You know, I don't need my mules, um, necessarily for the things I want to do. I mean, there's plenty of people that hike and backpack in the mountains. I, I don't, I don't have to ride mules. I'm per- perfectly capable at this point in my life and healthy enough that I could backpack and enjoy. So I don't have to have them pack my butt up the trail. Um, you know, I don't have to have them pack my stuff. I, I could do those things. I could. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to get that straight. I don't want to do that. I do enjoy riding the mules and packing, and I enjoy that lifestyle immensely. And if you're listening to this, you already know that. But, um, you know, and even with the cow working too, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks around here that do work cattle on four-wheelers and on foot. I don't necessarily even need them to work cattle anymore. There's a lot of farmers and ranchers that don't even own a horse. You know, so I don't have to have them in my life. Now, some of you listening, maybe you ranch in big country and you can't ride ATVs. And maybe you, you know, maybe you go up on the mountain and, and you know, same thing here. But for me, what I'm getting at here, friends, is that it's the mule is not just a tool to be used. It's not just a tool um, because, like I said, I can find ways around that. So I don't have to have, I don't have to ride the mule. I ride the mule because I enjoy it. I enjoy going in the backcountry, leading a pack string. There's something magical about that that I cannot even begin to explain to you on a podcast here. You know, I really love moving cattle with my mules, and there's something extremely special about a mule when it kind of gets hooked onto a cow and it knows the cow that you need to move, it knows the calf that you're trying to rope and, and they're with you. There's something special about dragging a calf to the Brandon pen, Brandon fire and, and doing a day's work from your saddle with a saddle and a rope. You know, I, I love those things. That's, that's what I enjoy. So for me and the mule though, since I don't have to do that, I don't have to ride that mule. I want this partnership. I want the mule to want to be with me more than it wants to be at the barn, more than it wants to be with the other mules. You know, I got a mule here. Some of you that have been to my clinics and been hanging around me or maybe watched the video library, you would know my big red mule called Riata. And I love Riata. Riata is probably one of the coolest mules that I've ever had the opportunity to ride and be around. And, you know, and Riata is the first mule that I'm, that I have the opportunity to take from a weanling all the way through and make a bridal mule out of her. You know, I've never been able to do that. I've started a lot of mules at, you know, two and three years old and rode them in a snap a bit and a hackamore and on up. And and then I've taken other mules that have already been ridden in snap and a hackamore and I finished them out in a bridal. And I've taken a lot of weanlings and got them up to two years old and and moved them on. And, and I've had all these different segments of, you know, of the, of the uh, you know, the training uh, process, you know, the bridal meal process. I've had all these different stages, but Riata is the first one that I've ever raised and took them through all these pieces. What I'm getting at with Riata though is, you know, I just, I remember a time, a, a moment last summer, we went and moved cows all day long, putting them up on the forest service permit. It was a big day, long day, 
lots of work, lots of riding. I mean, we, we did a lot of miles, got home, you know, I had saddled up Riata about 4.30 a.m. that day and took the saddle off probably about 6 p.m. that day. Went in, had some dinner, whatever. Went back out to the corral and and I'm just kind of doing chores and and I and and you know I walk up to the to the gate there and uh, you know Riata's been turned out now for a little while and uh, she just walks right back up to the gate like she's ready to go again. She's like, "Hey, how you doing?" But think about how many times you've been on a mule and I and I and on Riata's you know this relationship I'm building with Riata. I'm I'm trying to practice what I'm preaching here, but there's been many a mule, you guys, where I would do that. And I, there ain't no way I'm catching them that same day again. They're, they're, they're going to be in the farthest corner of the pasture from me, you know? So it's, it's this whole relationship we're trying to build that really matters to me. And what I'm trying to round this back to with the agency and giving the mule the freedom, that, that agency, that freedom really matters to me. Now, I mean, if I'm being honest, we do dress it up in a way that, you know, we're constantly coaxing them to be with us. We're trying to make it easier to be with us, you know, and uh, there's some interesting studies out there. You know, I'm not going to dive into them, but there's something special, friends, about giving your mule some agency to choose, setting them up in a way that they choose to be with you rather than away from you. But it takes time. And, you know, you build this relationship first. And then you can start putting the mule to these tests and seeing what they can do and how they can do it and and, and all these things. But uh, the relationship should come first. And, it, and I believe it starts with agency. So, well, let's get on to some Mule Tip Tuesday questions. Uh, I got a handful of them today. And I appreciate you guys sending in these questions. Um you're always welcome to email me, ty at tsmules.com with your questions and just put in the subject line, question for Mule Tip Tuesday, and we will try to get to these. And you know what? It's actually been easier for me to do these on Mule Tip Tuesday than uh, sit down and, and answer emails because some of these, you know, I kind of got to go in depth too, and I'd rather talk it than type it. Um, all right. So first question is from Shanna uh, Kogshell. I'm, I'm sorry if I killed that last name. Shanna. Um, all right. Shanna writes, uh, she's got a four, uh, a four-year-old, uh, has been doing great in the snaffle until two weeks ago. He has been great in the saddle at rolling the hinds, moving the front, stopping, etc. But recently he has been ignoring any soft feel and is super heavy with mouth gaping at any pickup of the rain. Teeth were checked in December. Yesterday I put him in a side pull and he was happy as a lark. Uh, soft feel was and stop were great. Um, should I continue with the side pull for a few weeks and then try to snaffle again? I'm happy to have this slight change from my mule to be happy again. Thanks for all you do. I have grown into a patient mule mom. Okay, Shanna. Um, first of all, I will say um, I don't recommend side pulls. Um, the side pull does not help me with any of my future endeavors. And if you're going to, if you're prone to not want to use a snaffle bit, then I would recommend a hackamore. And and you guys know when I'm talking about a hackamore, I'm talking about a traditional hackamore. That means a bazal, a makati, and a hanger. I'm not talking about the mechanical junk. I'm talking about a traditional hackamore. 
I, I would use that because that's going to help me. You know, this whole bridal mule process is is very, very particular. And the things we're trying to do, everything we're doing now is going to set us up for success in the future in the bridal, okay? The this, this side pole doesn't offer me a whole lot of help right there. And, and the signal of the side pole... You know, I, I would really prefer the Hackamore signal to the side pull signal. For example, you know, the Hackamore setup with your Makati wraps so that you have about two fingers from under the jaw there to the first wrap of your Makati. And that's the same distance you're going to have typically from the horse's jaw down to your curb strap on your bridle bit. And the way you pick up on that, you know, in regards to like the soft feel, for example, it'll have the same feel as that curb strap does. And so that's one of the pieces of the hackamore that we're trying to build in there. But you also have the lateral help. Now, in a side pull, when you go to pull straight back in a side pull to pick up this soft feel like you're talking about, Shanna, um, you're just basically pulling back on the mule's head and the side pull basically just goes higher up on the nose closer to the eye as you pull back on it. Whereas the hackamore is basically hinges there on the nose. It balances on the nose and it hinges so that the heel knot pulls to you and you're actually picking up on that Makati and the Makati gets closer to that jaw of the horse. So that's how the signal of the hackamore differs from the signal of a side pull in regards to picking up the soft feel. For those of you listening that do not know what a soft feel is, basically it's one small piece of collection that we're trying to build in there. Uh, basically it's just trying to get the pole to soften and it goes through the body, you know, so it's one, one small piece of the collection puzzle. Anyway, so you can see there, hopefully through my description, um, the difference in your signal from the soft feel, uh, for the soft feel, uh, the difference between the side pull and the hackamore, okay? And, and that means a lot to me in my future. So I do not recommend using them side pulls. Um, you know, when it comes to actual lateral work, like getting them to bend left and bend right, um, so, some people do like the advantage of having that rain up a little higher, you know, um, but you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I moved out of the snaffle bit into the hackamore, I shouldn't have to have such a direct pull on them. We're starting to fade out of the direct pull. So if you remember in the past, you know, episodes of me talking about this progression of making a bridal mule, you know, we start in that snaffle bit and that snaffle bit, say I want to ask the mule to flex laterally to the right and I slide down that right rein and I'll draw the rein out to 45 till the mule's bent to 45 degrees and I drop back until the mule's bent to 90 degrees and, and those different angles of my rein use is very particular and when I pick up on that rein in that manner you know the the right bar of the bit is pressing on the right bar of the mule the left ring of the bit is pushing against the left side of the mule's mouth. So it, it's, it, there's a lot of direct pull happening right there. And, and it's the most communication 
out of all the tools I use, that is the loudest communication that I use is that snaffle bit. It's kind of like I always, you know, used to joke about my, my youngest daughter, Swayze, and I'd tell her, hey, look at that deer over there. And she'd look up in the sky looking for the deer, you know, and I'd have to grab Swayze's head and I'd kind of point her eyes in the direction of the, of the deer so she could see it. And I always joke that Swayze's in the snaffle bit. Someday she's going to kick my butt for telling these stories. Uh, but that's a snaffle bit. Now, it's very direct, okay? There's a lot going on right there. Um, there's a lot of signal going on right there. Um, that's why it's the easiest, I believe, for a typical rider to get along with a typical colt. It's the easiest way. Now, when I go to that hackamore, now this is when things start to change. Now, I, I no longer have my reins up on the side like I do on the snaffle bit, right? I have both of my reins coming out of the heel knot on that hackamore. So they're lower, they're closer together. Now, this, this little transition is important in the progress for me as I go to the bridle, because when I go to the bridle, I want to be doing less and less and less with the reins. I don't want to have to have so much signal for my rein there. It'll be more for my seat and my legs. I'll still use the rein, no doubt, but it's, it's, it's less. Okay. So you're trying to do less and less and less. Going from the snaffle bit right to the side pole, you know, basically you just you just took away your direct pull on the right side, for example, like we talked earlier. You know, you've taken away that pressure on the bar, uh, but you still have the pressure on the outside, but you haven't refined down any, uh, as in the hackamore. And, and, you know, that teardrop shape of that bozelle is shaped that way for some particular reasons, um, for that signal. I want that signal on the bridge of the nose there. And I want that signal from my Makati there. And the, the way that those, those, these bozelles taper down this teardrop shape, you can pick up, um, on the, on an animal, uh, pretty efficiently with, with very little, with very little feel from you in regards to pressure. Okay. So now that, you know, I don't recommend the side pull, um, to answer your question about, uh, you know, uh, would I go back to the snaffle? Yeah, I would. I, on all of my animals, unless there's a particular health reason, um, on all of my animals, I am going to get everything going really nicely in the snaffle bit before I graduate, underline that word, graduate out of the snaffle bit. Okay. So, they need to be rocking and rolling in that snaffle bit. And if I'm having issues with the soft feel, what I would be recommending to you, Shanna, is go back to your lateral stuff. Probably you're not rolling the hinds with slack in the rain. See, a lot of people get hung up in, well, I can do the moves. Okay, you can do the moves. How well can you do the moves? I can move the hinds. I can move the front. You know, like you're telling me, you can stop. Are you doing these things on loose rain? Can you, can you roll the hindquarters on a loose rein? Is there slack in that rein? When you have that mule bent to 90 degrees and you're rolling hindquarters, uh, let's say from right to left, is there slack in that rein or is that rein tight? When you're moving the front, is your, is your neck rein loose? And is your leading rein loose or is your leading rein tight and your neck rein tight? You know, how much leg am I using? So all these things, I really want to get my lateral work going really nicely first before I go to the soft feel. So there's probably some, uh, 
some signaling there uh, that's going on uh, that is not efficient for that mule. There's probably a not, a not enough release happening when the mule is trying to find it. The mule is probably not finding some slack in that rain. So, Shanna, uh, those are my suggestions. I'd work on those things and uh, see what you can get done. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't like using the snaffle, but, you know, over on the California side, Sam, I'm, I'm in the Great Basin, and the uh, snaffle bit has a lot of tradition here uh, for quite a few reasons. But you get over to the California side, and they start them in hackamores. And so for those of you that uh, don't like the snaffle bit, you can dang sure start them in a hackamore. That's fine. I've started a few in a hackamore. But I have not got the precision, and I have not been able to develop the softness and uh, that's definitely probably mostly on on my part um, but there's some some classical elements that i'm looking for that the snaffle bit can offer me uh, there's some advanced moves that i'm interested in because i want my mule better than average on the end of those reins on the end of those lead ropes um and i can't i i'm saying i can't i can't get the that refinement without just the snaffle bit um you know, I, I, I'm not able to get those things as clear in the hackamore. Uh, now, maybe you can, and that's fine. Uh, a lot of people, like I said, a lot of people start them in the hackamore, and that's just great. There's some great education there. Um, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no rules against that. That's great. Go for it. But I wouldn't recommend the side pull. Okay, uh, the next question Um Kind of similar, so I'm going to go with this one next. Uh, from Rosalie Elizabeth Jessup. My 12-year-old mule has recently started sticking uh, slash dangling her tongue out the right side uh, when I drive or ride her. I really try to use a light hand all the time. The vet has checked her teeth. I ride with a snaffle and drive with a straight bit. Any ideas what might be causing this new behavior? I've had it for a year. Okay, Rosalie, typically the mule is is being so active with their tongue when they're not comfortable carrying that bit, uh, when they're not comfortable mentally, and usually those two things go together. Um, sometimes they start getting uh, bracy in the tongue muscle um, when when they're not getting a release sometimes. Um, and I see this actually a lot with animals that do drive because you know, people are, are pretty heavy with both hands with driving and, and it, it's really, I, I have yet to see anybody that, that can drive as light as somebody can ride, um, you know, operate that, that snaffle bit from the saddle. Um, so sometimes in the driving animals, they'll get to where they brace that, that tongue, that tongue muscle gets tight and, um, you know, I, I don't typically recommend a tongue relief style bit or anything like that because then it puts so much pressure on the bars and then they get really sensitive on those bars. You know, I like them to be able to lift that up. So, Rosalie, I would be recommending, you know, to go back to kind of what I was just telling Miss Shanna, some, some lateral work, try to get these animals to where, uh, you know, you don't have to pull so much to get these things to operate. You know, and in in the clinics, I talk to you guys a lot about pushing the rein to the animal. So maybe I'm asking that mule, let's just say I'm asking the mule to flex to 45 degrees to the right. Okay, so picture that. You're just trying to get that mule to bend its head 45 degrees to the right. As that mule is coming 
to the right, I am pushing that rain to it. I ask a little, so I do take up the slack out of the rain. And then when the mule gives, I give more. So I'm always giving more in that rain than I take every single time. And by doing that, that mule will really learn how to uh, seek the slack. And that's what I'm really trying to chase, Rosalie. So, you know, it, it's probably more of a, a mind thing. Um, you know, getting that willingness of mind, getting them soft in the mind, Rosalie will really help that. Um, I would, if it's my mule and, and they think these things are kind of happening, I'd probably give her a break on the driving and I'd focus on the riding because you can be more efficient in the saddle than you can while you're driving. And you can, you know, you can do a better job of these lateral movements, obviously, you know, from the saddle more so than when you're driving, you know, uh, they have much more freedom there to move. So I would go back to riding until you get some of this lightened up and then don't worry about it. You know, um, you know, you definitely don't try to use, you know, any of these gimmicks or devices that's keeping that mouth shut. I, I want to be able to move that mouth. I want to be able to move that tongue and, um, but just in a more comfortable manner. So, Check out all those other things as you're riding, you know, um, try to get that lateral stuff soft. Okay. Great question, Rosalie. Um, before we go to the next question here, uh, we're going to take a quick break and thank one of our sponsors. So we'll be right back. Okay, friends, we got a new sponsor to recognize uh, I want to thank my friend Scott Nichols for sponsoring this episode, and he is uh, representing the Backcountry Horsemen of Idaho. Uh, really grateful for this sponsorship. Um, you know, Backcountry Horsemen everywhere uh, does a lot to, uh, you know, to maintain equine access to our public lands, and you know we can thank them for keeping trails open, uh, helping to maintain trails. They do a lot of service, and uh, if you'd like, go to www.bchi.org and purchase one of their 2021 calendars uh, and join the Backcountry Horsemen of Idaho. But these, when you purchase one of these calendars, uh, the proceeds go to help this trail maintenance and uh, promote equine use of our trails, our public trails. So thank you, Scott Nichols and Backcountry Horsemen of Idaho. Very grateful for you. Okay, we're back with Mule Tip Tuesday. I uh, appreciate you guys hanging in here with me today. Got another great question from Chelsea Moore. Now this is a little long, um, and I tried to go over it a little bit to help uh, shorten it up a little but I'm going to go ahead and read this, and and we're going to kind of dissect it as we go here. So Chelsea writes in. She says, hey, y'all, I've been subscribed to your videos for about two months now and have a mule I'm working with. Here's the story on him. Um, basically, she purchased him from Killpen. Killpen said he was five years old, green broke. Um, so uh, I planned on bringing him home and working him up to maybe – uh, be my main ride while hunting. We had a rough first month and a half with him running from me, bolting when trying to do groundwork, extremely anxious, fence weaving, etc. I had then come across the woman who owned him, and she told me they had purchased him as, quote, well broke. Rode him twice, then turned him out to pasture for the last few years and took him to sell 
after he started chasing their cows. Uh, she also told me he was eight to nine years old. My vet said this mule is close to five or six by the teeth. So I really don't know if the old owner is even thinking of the same mule as I think she's, she's a horse trader. If so, according to her, this mule is well broke. I don't see that when I'm on him. <laughs> now for the issues. I have about a dozen rides on him. Some rides are pretty good and some are awful. On the bad rides, he won't go where asked. I have to be super heavy on him to get him to go the proper direction. If I'm not, he will drop his shoulder, spin around, quickly walk, trot the opposite direction. The first few rides was a literal fight to get him to leave a half acre. He never kicks out or bucks, but will continue to brace and fall in with his shoulder. I was told by some people that he's just seeing what he can get away with and I need to be harder and write it out. Okay, I'm going to pause right here. A few things here. So, Chelsea, just know that fighting with a mule, does you just ain't going to get anywhere. You know, you have to treat a mule the way you should treat a horse. Now, people can get away with um, kind of bullying a horse around, okay? Um, but you just it's just not going to get you anywhere with the mule, okay? It's just not going to help you out here. So, you know, when you're working with them, do your best to try to make it as easy as you can to make it easy for him to choose what you want to do. Um, now, the other thing I want to mention real quick is she says some people say he's just seeing what he can get away with. Now, now there's enough. I mean, this is this kind of stuff is so old news, you guys. Um, you know, there's so much education out there now that you know the the mules literally not even capable of seeing what they can get away with. They don't have that. They don't have that forethought. They don't have that large frontal lobe that processes these abstract thoughts like this. Okay, they're not they're not thinking. Oh, let's try this, Chelsea. Let's see if I can uh, let's see if I can get you around this next bend here. I wonder if I can get away with this. No. They do do whatever is easiest. They will do whatever is easiest. Okay, so for example, if they are just on the instinct, which it sounds like this mule is very much just on the instinct. He's just protecting himself. He's not, this mule's not in a thinking state of mind. Nobody's ever helped him to get into a thinking state of mind. Um, you know, he might go down the trail and see some grass and just go reach for the grass because he's just on the instinct at that moment. He's not trying to get away with, Ooh, I wonder if I can get a bite and get away with it right here. Um, now, they they do learn from experiences. Okay, they they will learn. Um, you know, they they will learn the way out. They remember the way out of pressure. Okay, so um, in the past, maybe he's, you know, somebody's wanted him to do something that he was really scared about. Let's just use. Uh, crossing water for an example. I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying anything about this mule being bad about crossing water. I'm just using it as, as an example. Okay. You're trying to get this mule to cross the water or somebody did. He was scared of the water. Okay. They put too much pressure on him to where he needed to find a way out. So he finds an open door because the mule's obviously not broke. So it doesn't know how to stay centered, how to stay between your stirrups and between your reins. So the mule, let's just say it blows out there to the left. Um, pushes through the shoulder and blows out there to the left and takes off running. And for that moment, it gets the release before the human kind of gets a hold of him, gets around and, and gets it back going. Um, 
And then they pressure him and try again. And he says, well, last time I got a little release, I, I, I ran for 20 feet and that was kind of felt good until the human kind of got a hold of me. Let's do that. And, and, uh, so they will remember those, those ways out. They do have an incredible memory, but they don't have the capacity to have these abstract thoughts about, Ooh, I wonder what I can get away with today. Okay. They just do. They live what they learn. Okay. And they learn what they live. It's really simple. Um, you know, and, and, and they are flight animals. So when there's too much pressure, they look for a release. Um, and when they, you know, the flight is, is one of their options. They can go. So they might go. Okay. So just know that. All right. Let's, let's read on here. Let's finish this up here. Um, so you can get the whole picture. Okay. So, you know, like I said, uh, I was just reading here. She was told by some people that the mules just trying to see what they can get away with and they need to be hard or whatever. I did that for a few rides and didn't see much improvement. Yeah, of course. I then realized that he may not know as much as I thought he knows, so I have started him over, and he's doing pretty dang good on groundwork. He's become more soft, does good circles, etc. I didn't ride for two weeks just to focus on groundwork. I got on earlier, and he's still fighting me to go where I asked, taking any chance to spin around to go back to the other way, bracing. I got off and did some groundwork, and he was listening good, pretty soft. Even free lunged me, uh, free lunged around me in a field. But the second I get back on, the fight is on. Keep in mind, this is my first mule, but I do know a lot about timing, release, communication. Feel as I'm a professional canine trainer, and a lot of that transfers over in advanced canine work. I'm not a pushover by any means, but I'm lost. My question is, what should I do? Should I stay off him until we get farther in the groundwork? Ride it out. Ride more often. Uh, think maybe he's just pushing me around like others say. I really hate having to be so hard on him in his mouth. I have him in a smooth D-ring snaffle. I do not have a round pen, but do have a large area to practice and tons of trails we go on. Help, please. Okay, so to answer all these questions, what to do. All right, what to do. I would start over. So she she says something here um the sentence this this is it right here i then realized that he may not know as much as i thought he knows that's key right there chelsea um this is why you know we teach in this checklist fashion um you know we go through this checklist every single ride you're never past it i'm i'm never past it in the bridle I'm still not past it. It's never ending. I get on, and it was funny, in Gunnison, this last week in Gunnison, Colorado, I, in the mulemanship, when I did a little demo on how long it takes me to do groundwork, I said, time me. And, uh, and, they, and Kelly, uh, one of the participants there, she timed me. The groundwork took me 22 seconds. And then I get on, I start going through my list every single time. So you guys realize I start over every day. Now, the better they get, those beginning stages, those beginning pieces, you know, as I advance, I mean, by the time I'm in the bridle, those things are taking, just like I just told you in the groundwork, literally seconds, 22 seconds of groundwork, literally 22 seconds of groundwork, okay? Then the first few pieces of riding, just moments, just check on them. 
And then I move on up and I keep moving up every day if I can. So I start over every day, but a lot of people just take people's word at face value. Like, oh, yeah, this meal's broke. Okay, get on right. And they just pound miles down the trail. And then you have these issues. The other reason I start over every day, Chelsea, is I want to make a yes mule. So those questions, those basic groundwork questions, those basic mulemanship one questions that I ask, it's not to, quote, train the mule. It's not to even get better at those moves. A lot of times it's just simply to get the mule saying yes, have the mule answer yes in a confident manner. Yes, I can do this. Yes, I can do this. And that way, when you get to more of these challenging spots, or maybe you get to this spot on the trail that is scary, you get to that bridge, you get to that water, you get to that stump, you get to that llama, (laughs) whatever it is that you run into out on the trail. If you got these meals saying yes, well, you're going to be set. You're fine. They will have more of an open mind and a willing mind. Last night, I mentioned I went on a little ride here with the family, just up the canyon above my house here. And, you know, I was riding Hannah, and Hannah has only had now two rides out. This was her third trail ride. It was actually her 13th ride ever um, in her third trail ride. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of water here in Utah, but there was a little water there, a little creek, about eight-foot-wide creek. And she's such a yes mule. We get up to the water, and I can feel her lack of confidence in crossing the water. She's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And, and she's she's looking at the water. But I can also feel in her a forward, a forward try, a forward effort, a yes. So she wasn't telling me no. She was just trying to figure out how. But that comes from me building a yes mule every single time I ride. And it doesn't work that, that way with every mule. But yes, to answer your question, if this is my mule, I would start from the beginning, go through that work, get some willingness. You know, this mule bolting off and busting out to the side, that tells me you need to build these center lines and, and, you know, get this mule centered. What that means is your legs need to have some meaning. And the other thing she mentioned that you mentioned here, Chelsea, uh, I really hate having to be so hard on him and his mouth. You know, when you're working on getting this, you know, if they're... If they're having a, a heck of a time, you know, getting bend or or getting some lateral work going, you know, you shouldn't just be pulling on them reins. A lot of people will just hang on the reins and then the rider's feet just brace in the stirrup. Now, you want to avoid this at all costs. Anytime you're doing any lateral work, you want to involve your legs. And remember the order of operations we teach, seat leg rain. But sometimes we skip the seat and we're, we are totally off in the seat. And then we skip the legs and we're bracing with our legs. And then we just hang on their faces. You want to adjust your seat and adjust your legs so that the mule wants to fit that feel, not fight that feel. So that is critical right there. And, and uh, you know, as I'm working, you know, pay attention. What happens before what happened happened? You know, what happens before what happened, happened. Okay. You know, what leads up to that? Before I push him to the point where he's wanting to bolt and take off, you know, I might, I might work just in that little zone. You know, you need to know just how to stay just this side of trouble, but not too far from trouble. If you stay too far from trouble, you don't improve. If you get too close to trouble, you fail. So it's it's just hovering right there, just this side of trouble. Okay. Don't push him too far. 
And it kind of goes back to the very first thing I mentioned in, in today's podcast. You know, help that mule. Find the freedom to choose. Find that agency. Get that mule to want to be with you. See, this mule wants to be everywhere else but with you. So work on that relationship. How do you do that? You ask questions that have yes answers. I only ask questions that the mule can say yes to. All right. That doesn't mean it works out for me every time. I'm not preaching this stuff because I'm good at it. I'm, I'm, I'm working at it myself too. I don't, I don't get it hundred percent every time on every mule. There's plenty of mules that I, that I fail on and I learn from it. I learn from it. So that's where I'm coming from here, Chelsea. So, um, and with your experience with the canine work, you know, a lot of this stuff, you know, release and, and, and trying to get along is, is similar. The only difference is you're dealing with a prey animal. Um, so, you know, this, these friends of yours telling you to, you know, just get in this boxing match with it and, and tough it out. You know, sometimes I, I you know, uh, f- for some people that work with predators, maybe that dominance might work. Um, you know, uh, I was talking to Casey Anderson. Any of you know Casey Anderson? He's he's a filmmaker up in Montana. He does documentaries and he trains predators. He trains bears and and uh, you know all these predators is really cool, amazing guy. And and uh, he's done some great documentaries. But I was talking to him, and one thing that he was telling me that he does a lot of times with with like you know raising up this young bear. Okay, is if he doesn't want the bear to do something, he can kind of get after it a little bit and kind of make a, hey, you know, or a no, or a, you know, kind of make a, uh, or eh, you know, make a, this, this noise every time he corrects the bear. Um, and, you know, as it grows older, if the bear, maybe they're, they're training and the bear kind of is going off course, he just says, hey, and that gets the bear's attention. And he learned his whole life to, you know, be a little intimidated by that. Well, he can get him to to redirect. Now, the horse, the mule, um, you can do the same thing, but it doesn't. You know that that negative um, kind of dominance thing, or, or or just saying no with the with the mule and the horse does not get you near as far as it does with a predator. Um, um, they're a flight animal. They're just, they're, they're scared. So you, you do that and you might heighten and arouse those, those flight senses. And, and a lot of times their reaction is just, they're just going to flee the scene with that. Um, and that's not to say you can't redirect them, but you need, but you know, you need to redirect the animal through movement. So when I'm working with a mule and I, and I, maybe I'm not happy with, with, an action they're taking. Let's just say somebody rode up behind me and my mule's acting like they want to kick them. I don't go, huh, or no, or hey, you know, I just, I, I, I redirect their minds through movement, not through negative reinforcement or punishment or, or, or that type of thing that, that doesn't hold on as long. As, as it might with some of the predator work that you're doing, working with these dogs and stuff. So that's just a little, that's just a little uh, rabbit hole thought there off to the side. And, and um, you know, I'd love to get Casey Anderson on here 
maybe I'll get him on the podcast and we can talk uh, training um, predators versus prey animals on some of that stuff. And, you know, I definitely, if you guys been listening very long, you know, I'm trying to get beyond that stuff, the predator and the prey stuff. I'm trying to build a relationship here. I don't want my mule to see me as a predator at all. I want to, I want them to see me as a partner. So anyways, Chelsea, I would start over, hang in there, go through the checklist, see what you can get done. Be careful not to get in these fights. Okay. All right. Cindy Cyphers writes in, I have not improved on Rosie's backing at all. I am lost at what to do. What is the key? All right, Cindy, um, before I ever work on the backup, I want to make sure I can move the hindquarters both ways with some softness, and I want to make sure I can move the front quarters both ways with some softness and lightness, okay? So I should be able to have slack in my rein while I'm doing both pieces if I really want my backup to be amazing. If I can't do it with a slack rein on both sides, my backup will continue to be heavy. The other thing that a lot of people do, and I did this for a long time, is is when they didn't want to back up, we'd just pull harder and we'd lean back more, okay? A couple of prerequisites I have now is I need to be able to do that lateral work like I just mentioned, but also I need to be able to pick up that soft feel first. My backup is initiated every time by a soft feel. I'm going to pick up the soft feel then I'll ask them to back up. And the difference is I take my legs off. A lot of people also want to kick them into the backup. They want to squeeze their legs in the backup. Now, you can definitely teach them to do this. I did this for years. This is how I grew up, backing them up as I would squeeze my legs. But I, but I learned the reason I had so many dull animals and I was not able to get the advancement and the level that I wanted to achieve with my mules was because I was squeezing to back up, but then also squeezing to go forward. And then also put my leg on to go left and put my leg on to go right. I was always put my leg on to do something. Okay. And they, sure enough, they could move each way and they, they, they are smart. They will figure it out. But when I really want to get a good clean backup, I'm going to take my legs off. Okay. And the other thing is I won't lean back so far. Take your legs off, kind of load your weight onto the balls of your feet, load up your stirrups and kind of get your shoulders slightly forward all the while maintaining the soft feel. And you will fill a backup like you've never felt. They will just move. And a lot of these mules and horses, they don't like to back up with so much weight on their back. So when you kind of unload your seat, um, you kind of roll forward on your pelvis. Oh, shoot. A lot of times they just back right up. It's, it's a piece of cake. The other thing, Cindy, is check on the release. Make sure you are rewarding every single time. You know, make sure you release on that snaffle bit every time. And yes, if you're having trouble backing up, you should still be in the snaffle bit. Okay. So check on those things, Cindy, and see if that helps you. All right. Great question. All right. And our final question for today's Mule Tip Tuesday comes from Connie Price. Now, Connie, she hosts our clinic in Natural Bridge, Virginia. She's done that for years and just a, an incredible friend of mine and um, she'll be listening to these podcasts guaranteed, but, uh, here's the first question. Hey, Ty, um, uh, I'm helping uh, a friend, Deborah, with her three meals. She is bringing her meal to, uh, natural bridge. That's the clinic we're doing this fall. Pearl, that's the meal supposedly has only been a pack mule. Deborah lacks confidence. Both are improving. Well, Pearl wants to carry her head low, rooting down at times. This makes Deborah feel uncomfortable. 
I don't think Pearl is carrying her head too low. She is just relaxed and chilled. But Pearl does root down sometimes. I told her when Pearl roots down just to bump her up. Am I telling her correctly? Deborah is not exactly listening to me. She is bumping her up when she is not rooting down, nagging at Pearl, because Deborah is uncomfortable. I am telling her Pearl isn't doing anything incorrectly. That's just the way she likes to carry herself. Is this a pack meal thing to carry their heads kind of low? Uh, no, Connie, it's not a pack meal thing to carry their heads low. Some mules do like to just pack their head a little lower. Some Sometimes mules like to carry that pole just a little lower than the wither, and that's just fine. Now, I don't want their heads dragging on the ground. I don't want their noses dragging on the ground. But I will let that mule carry its head in a way that they can efficiently use their body. So if you're getting a good travel, good pace, they're moving well, you're not developing soreness, they're looking healthy, I don't really care if they had their head a little lower. Um, i got a colt right now I'm working. She kind of likes to carry her head a little lower. Um, now, the rooting down, that is the mule uh, looking for a release. So the mule may feel too much tension there. So I would check on the slack of the rein there. Um, now, if the mule does root down, instead of bumping up on both reins, Connie, I'm, I would just tell Deborah to roll the hindquarters, you know, one way or the other, and just stick with some type of lateral move that way. Um, you know, in, instead of just bumping, because when you just bump, you just, you know, you just kind of slam it on that mouth and, and that's not really doing you a lot of, uh, of a lot of, a lot of good there. Now it's different on an advanced mule. Maybe when I wanted to pick its head up a little bit, I would pick up on those reins, but it would know what a soft feel was. So it would respond to it that way. You can do that too. Sometimes, um, on a, uh, on a, on a young one that's maybe carrying its head too low. And I think it's too low. It's not that it's carrying its head efficiently, but carrying its head too low. I will pick up on um, both reins straight up and just kind of raise it, basically just making a little bit of a wall down there. And the second that mule raises its head, it's finding slack and I'm pushing my reins back to it or in this case, straight down, so that it finds instant slack. I'll do that on, on some two there. Um, but just carrying its head low, if it's efficient use, I'm not going to do much else to address it. The rooting, though, that that comes from the mule looking for release, not being able to find release. So I would tell Deborah to go back to all these lateral moves, all the beginning pieces of the checklist, and I'm looking forward to seeing her at uh, our clinic in Natural Bridge. Uh, can't wait. I love going back to Virginia. Those people just some of the kindest people in the world. I, I love visiting there. So looking forward to meeting Deborah and Pearl there. Connie has another question. Uh, Connie just went through a bit of a wreck. Her mule bucked her off and she busted her ribs and had some other things happen there. So uh, here's the question. Now on, now on to Waldo. That's the mule. I'm not riding him yet. My ribs have to be 100% to ride him. Even though I love Waldo and so many things about him, I'm unsure about his reactiveness. He tends at times to overreact or get overstimulated. Uh, will he ever get over this with training and maturity? If uh, uh, if his go-to thing is is bucking violently, I really need to fix this. Absolutely, um, I can't ride it. Uh, she's had him crow hop and she's had him do a little bit, and she's been able to last it. But last time she got dumped off pretty hard. Um, now, the last time she got bucked off, they found that uh, Waldo's got bit by a tick. I can't remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. I should have wrote it down, but the uh, the disease that he picked up. And basically, long story short, through this disease, it, it weakens the muscles in the back and the spine. And they do get sore, which can cause, you know, you know, when she's riding him, it, you know, 
he can get sore and can buck. Now there's a lot of mules, you guys, that can get sore and they will ride and go and keep going even with the pain. And it's as sad as it sounds, there's a lot of mules that can do that and they will do that. And you'll never know they're in pain until it's too late until they're lame, you know, until they can't go until, you know, their body breaks down. Then there's others like Waldo that are super sensitive that when they have a little pain, they're going to show it and they might manifest it by bucking, running off, bolting, whatever that can happen too. Okay. Sometimes these mules get in pain and they just, you know, the, the uh, instinct kicks in and they go down to the flight or the fight or whatever, or the freeze. Okay. So Connie, this is a hard question to just answer. You know, uh, there's a lot of variables. Yes, you can fix these things. You can get him to where he's not so reactive. Um, you know, you can get more control of him. Uh, on a mule like this, I would just be really trying to get him get him handy, you know, on all these things. But um, but you need to understand, too, that they there are some mules that are just more sensitive than others. You know, um, I got a couple colts right now I'm started. Uh, I've got a, a colt named Hannah and a colt named Dally. They're the same age. They're three, they're three years old. Out of different jacks, different mares. Obviously, they're not related. Um, well, their dads are cousins, are brothers. So I guess technically they're cousins or whatever, but they're very different. Okay. Hannah is the type. She probably would take a bit of pain and she probably wouldn't do anything about it. Dally is ultra sensitive. And so much as a fly lands on her butt and bites her, that could send her, her into some bucking. Okay. She's just sensitive and it's going to take me a lot of familiarizing to get her over the, that type of stuff and to get her better that way. So I just understand this. I'm prepared for it. I'm ready to work through it and do what I need to do. Um, so yes, he could get over it. Also, no, he might not get over it. This is something I can't necessarily answer for you, Connie. Um, I know what I'd be doing. What I'd be doing with him is, like I just said, I would continue to work to get him handy. I might do some extra familiarizing. I don't do a lot of familiarizing with my meals. You know, I don't do a lot of tarp work and and uh, flag work and whatever. But I, but w with a mule like Waldo and with the reactiveness that you're getting, Connie, I, I might do some extra of, of those things there. And um, but above all, Connie, you're going to have to work on yourself. And uh, this is just me going to Connie here for this, friends, because. I know Connie really well. She's one of my best friends, an amazing lady. But Connie, you're going to have to get your mind right before you ride him again, before you work him again. You know, I, I don't want you having this in the back of your mind. And in your sentence right here, um, here at the end, she says, um, but I can't control everything in our surroundings, specifically thinking about bees. If we get into bees on the trail and it does happen and he's going to buck violently, I will come off again. So see, Connie, you're already worried about something that hasn't even happened. It's not even there yet. And and I, and I totally understand being prepared. You need to be prepared. But don't get hung up on all the what-ifs. That will really hold you back. So hang in there, Connie. You can get it done. Okay, friends. Well, I appreciate all your questions. All of you that I answered your questions, Connie, Chelsea, um, Rosalie, Shanna, and Cindy, I'd love to hear from you what you think about uh, today's Mule Tip Tuesday. I'd love to hear from all of you and love to hear what you have to say about today's Mule Tip Tuesday. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you would leave a review and uh, leave a five-star rating if you think we deserve it. And if you guys have a question for Mule Tip Tuesday, be sure to 
send me an email, ty at tsmeals.com, and put in the subject, Meal Tip Tuesday question. Hey, guys and everybody, thank you so much for listening. God bless you all, and we'll see you down the road.